My name's Noah. Uh, I work with the middle school here. Um, been here for a couple months. It's been a while. Feels like feels like a, a while, but it's just good. I love it. Um, this is my this is my second time up here. They let me up here a second time, which is crazy. Um, I know some of you are like for real. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, I'm I'm excited to to have a conversation, and I really mean that because I think. I think sometimes we, um, we look at messages and we look at this time as like, oh, I'm just gonna like absorb all this information that this person that knows so much is telling me. And I think what I want instead of that is I, I, I want to like start a conversation. And I want, like this message is one that like, these are just things that God is like telling me and things that the Holy Spirit is convincing me of and some thoughts and some ideas that I have and I want them to present them and say, what do, what do we think about this? And so it's not just going into the week with, oh, I, I just absorbed all this information, but rather a conversation, something that we as the church think about. Um, and so that's, that's really my heart in this, this morning. You can see by the screen behind me, I want to talk about empathy. And I've been convinced as I look at our culture and I look at even the church right? I've been convinced that we have an empathy deficit. We are desperate. We are desperate for empathy. As a culture and as a church and all together, we as a people, as humanity, are desperate for this. I saw a tweet the other day, and it compared the TV show hosts, news hosts, and how divisive they are, and there's a direct correlation between their divisiveness, both sides, both sides, between their divisiveness and the ratings. What I see when I look at our culture is that we're hungry for divisiveness. Do you see this, right? We're, we're, we're hungry for divisiveness, we're starving for it. I read an article that talked about how we as a people, especially coming out of the pandemic, we as a people are so much more prone to be around in our groups and our friendships more than ever, prone to be around people that think like us, act like us, look like us, worship like us, vote like us than ever before. That we, as, as, as our friend groups and the people that we're close around, like we're looking to be with people that are simply like-minded because we wanna be in our comfort zone, we want people that think like us. We're divisive, right? Like these things are driving and building walls in the relationships and the people that we're around. We're letting these issues build barriers and it's happening in the church as well. I think about social media, right? Like social media is literally this platform where, where we just are able to create our own echo chambers of whatever we wanna hear. Meaning that I can go on Instagram right now and if somebody doesn't think and look and act like me, then I can unfollow them and I don't have to hear that. I don't have to hear their different perspectives on, on whatever, because I don't want to. Right, like I can, I can build up and the only intake and the only news I get about the culture and about the world and about the things going around, around me are, are the things I wanna hear. Like we are living in a culture where we're building that up around us. And social media isn't going away, by the way. 
right? And then there's the other side of social media, which gives us a platform to share our opinions with very little repercussions. Meaning I can text, I can type my opinions in all caps into Twitter, and maybe I'll get a few comments, but I'll just block those people. Because <laughs> obviously they just hated me for what I said. I just offended them, right? And the church is not excluded from this. Christians doing this. We're doing this. We have an empathy deficiency as a people. Just so we're all on the same page, empathy is defined as the ability to share someone else's feelings or experiences by imagining what it would be like to be in that person's situation, by imagining what it would be like to, be, to experience that, to have that perspective, to have that, have that background, grow up with those experiences, imagining what that would be like, that's what empathy is. Neuroscience explains, and I read up on this, I don't have a degree in neuroscience, by the way. Um, I'm a youth pastor, yeah. Um, neuroscience says, Empathy happens in two parts. There's the emotional center that perceives the feelings of others, and then there's the cognitive center that tries to understand why they feel the way that they do and how we can be helpful to them. We have these things called mirror neurons that happen in our brain, and what happens is they literally mirror the things, the emotions and things that we see in others. So like if somebody smiles at you, and you immediately smile back, that's, that's these mirror neurons triggering in your brain, and, and it happens through imitation. And that's how empathy works, is that we see these things, we perceive them, and we, and we imitate these similar emotions. This is important, and this is, this is a scientist speaking, and, but I think it's amazing because there's such biblical truth in this. We are social beings. Our survival depends on our understanding the actions, intentions, and emotions of others. Our survival depends on empathy. Isn't that interesting? So this isn't just like, oh, this is a, just a helpful thing. Like, and I think a lot of times when I talk about empathy in, in my experiences, a lot of us perceive it as like a gift that some people have. And I think it's true that some people are naturally more empathetic, but, but a lot of us just excuse it, oh, I'm not an empathetic person. I'm not an empathetic person. Well, science would say that, and the way that God created us is so cool that empathy is learnable because the brain circuits can grow and change. These, these mirror neurons can be effective and it simply happens with us choosing that we want to do it. Meaning that if you wanna be an empathetic person, if you wanna have empathy for your neighbor, it starts with you choosing to do so. And it really starts with this word curiosity. It starts with curiosity, it starts with saying, I wonder what it would be like to be in that person's shoes. I wonder why they think the way that they do. I, I, I wonder the experience of that person. 
Like, what would it be like to be a single mother raising kids and having to balance several jobs? What would that be like? What would it be like to be diagnosed with cancer and not know how long you have to live? What would that be like? What would it be like to be homeless? and not know where your next meal is gonna come from, all the while fighting against the stigma that the reason you're homeless is because you're lazy or you, you had a stupid lifestyle and that's the reason why you're homeless, what would it be like to live with that? What would it be like to have homosexual thoughts? and struggle with that, all the while sitting in the church knowing that if, you, that if you said that out loud that a lot of people around you would probably disown you, probably your parents even, what would that be like? What would it be like to be an African American man or woman in this country right now and feel like you're being attacked? What would that feel like? This is what empathy does, right? What would it be like to be scared to go outside? What would it be like to struggle every single day with the thoughts in your brain? These are the questions that empathy asks. And I think this is important, right? Because church, I think, I think we do a really good job at talking about love. I do. I think we talk about love a lot. But I think we miss this empathy thing a lot. And it's interesting to me because I've been convinced that empathy really shows us how to love. It's the how. Meaning that you ever have somebody that's like, you know that they love you and they have all the best meaning in the world and yet the way that that love is expressed is just like the, the cringiest thing ever. And, and you say something like, oh, well they mean well, right? Like they mean well. Like, I mean, like, Grandma, this sweater you bought me for Christmas, like, I'm just never going to wear that. But I know you mean well, right? Like, and, and I, think, I think empathy is that key that says, I, I understand this person. I understand where they're coming from. And maybe I don't experience the same thing, but I can step into that, and I can understand how to love this person well. And I think this is key. Like, I really... I really do. Like, I, I think if we as a church set apart on this mission to love people, to love our neighbor as ourselves, it takes stepping out and being like, I want to understand them. Because until you understand them, that, that love, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. I want to... I want to look at a number of scriptures because I don't want this to be just like my own musings. Like I've been convinced of this through the scriptures. I've been convinced of this. And so we have them on the screen. There's a number of them. The first one, this is Romans 12, 15 and 16. And it says this, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Ooh, 
That last part. We know some people that, that need to hear that last part, don't we? Yeah. I think, I think Twitter would be a much nicer place if some people got a hold of that one. You know what I'm saying? Like, unless you have a degree in theology, then you know it all, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's not how that, that works, right? Like, and this verse is so interesting. Like, be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. This is, this is empathy. Are we doing this, church? Are we weeping with those who are crying out right now? Are we weeping with them? Are we celebrating those who are celebrating? Are we, are we being happy with those who are happy right now? Are we, are we doing this? And it's interesting, right, that, that it doesn't say, weep with those who weep, and then after that, give them a theological breakdown of, uh, of why they're actually the problem. It doesn't say that. There's no place in there. It just simply says, weep with those who weep. Take time to understand them, to listen, to walk with them, to love them. We'll move on. Next verse is Hebrews 13.3. It says this, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Are we doing this in our prayer life? In the way that we pray, are we, are, are we, are we praying on behalf of those who are suffering in the world? Are we doing this? I look at my, every single one of these verses, like every time I read them and I was preparing for this, every time they were like a gut punch to me because it's like, man, I don't, I don't know if I do that. Right, like those, the people in prison right now, it's so easy to just like not even care, those being mistreated around the world and in this country, like are we caring for them? Are we empathizing them? Is our heart breaking for them? And what would that look like if we started to do that? What would, what would it look like if, if this love and this empathy pushed us that far? To care for those, to, to, to fight on the behalf of those who are suffering right now. Seems pretty Christ-like to me. Galatians 6. Two through three says this, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Another one. These verses end like, woo, you are not that important. You are not that important. I know you think you know it all and I know you think you have all the answers and have the perfect perspective on, on everything in life, but you're not, you're not that important. And I love, did you catch that first line? Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. And it seems to say that the, the fulfillment of the law of Christ, the law that Jesus set into place as he walked this earth and set up his kingdom, it seems to me that the, that the fulfillment of that law 
is to carry the burdens of each other. To simply carry the burdens of each other, the people walking around us, all of them, to carry those things, to walk with them. That's what it means to walk as Christ walked. Simply put, to carry the burdens of each other. And if you think you are too important to do that, you're fooling yourself. You are fooling yourself. Man, and if, if those verses don't, don't bake your noodle, if those don't, if those don't hit, let's, let's look at God himself. Let's look at the fact that the ultimate example of empathy was the fact that God himself entered into humanity with us, literally carrying our burdens being that cross on his back. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. That verse right there convinces to me that this empathy thing is a big deal. That it was such a big deal that Christ himself did it by taking on the form of a human being, just like me and you in walking this earth. And every temptation and all the things that we struggle and all, everything, the all-encompassing human experience, he walked in that to say, I know what you're dealing with. I understand you. I understand what it's like to be misunderstood. I understand what it's like to have heard, I understand what it's like to come with all of the stress and these burdens. I understand what it's like to weep so loud that, 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 that I begin to sweat blood. I understand the struggle. I understand what it's like for people to get upset with me. He walked that with us. Jesus' ministry, and it's interesting that I, as I've studied this, in every encounter Jesus had, you see such, such a level of empathy in every conversation he had, every encounter. He asked questions, he listened, he learned. I think about Zacchaeus. He said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come to your house today, that tax collector. Like, I, I, I want to sit with, with you. I want to I learn about you, right? I think about the woman at the well, that conversation. As he asked questions, as he, and sure, he walked into there, and we know that he had some, some understanding, and he knew who she was, but it's interesting that he lets that conversation play out, Right? as he asks questions and as he sits with her. There's something so important about that sitting with people and having conversation. We see this consistently in the ministry of Jesus. Or how about the story of Lazarus? This is one that always gets me, right? Because you have Jesus shows up and it's, it seems to me that Jesus knew what he was gonna do 
before he even got there, and yet he lets, first of all, he lets Lazarus' friend die, right? Like, it's Jesus, he could have he stopped that, right? And, and not only does he do that, when he shows up, I'm sure he was like, yeah, I'm about to, you know, I'm about to get bro out of the grave, right? And yet, what does Jesus do first? Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Even in his mind, knowing what's going to come next, Jesus took time to validate the emotions of those around him. Isn't that interesting? He took time to sit with the grieving families and not give all these answers and say, oh, it's going to be okay because, watch this, he took time to weep with those who were weeping and he validated the human emotions. Emotions are important. To validate the emotions of those around him. In 1965, a, a series of, of monumental films in the world of psychotherapy were released, and it was called The Three Approaches to Psychotherapy. Um, and these films, at that time, the, the idea of therapy and what that actually looked like was very much unknown, right? And, and these films were monumental in showing, kind of lifting the veil on what therapy actually looked like and showing the, the videos were basically showing three different therapy sessions and talking through what that looked like. And, and there's this part of these sessions where, where this therapist, Carl Rogers, is, is talking and he lays out, this is so interesting to me, he lays out three questions that good counselors must ask themselves before they start the session. And these, these three questions are so profound to me. The first one is, can I be real in the relationship with my client? Can I be real? Can I be authentic? As I enter into this conversation, can I be true? The second question is, will I find myself prizing this person? I love that word, prizing. Can, can I prize this person? Can I love them? Can I elevate their humanity? Can I look at them and, and see the beautiful qualities in them? Can I do that? And then the third question, will I be able to understand the inner world of this individual? Will I be able to understand who they are and why they think the way they think? Will I be able to step into that just a little bit? And, and, and Carl Rogers lays out that if these three attitudes are present, a number of things happen. He says, first, the client will feel free to explore these attitudes more deeply be able to explore these attitudes and the things that they're dealing with more deeply. It says, number two, the client will be able to discover hidden aspects of themselves that they weren't aware of before. Things that were inside of them, qualities that they had, but they never were able to grasp. Number three, feeling prized by the counselor will allow them to prize themselves. Isn't that interesting? That if in that relationship, the the counselor showed tremendous amount of love and care that immediately that person could love and, and care themselves, care for themselves as well. Isn't that interesting? Number four, if the client senses a realness with the counselor, they can be more real within themselves. 
That if there's authenticness with the counselor, then, then we can be authentic with ourselves. Number five, feeling that some of their meanings are understood, the client will be able will be more readily available to listen to themselves and their experiences and find some meaning they hadn't before. It's interesting how listening, just sitting there and listening to somebody uncovers so much of who they are, right? And, and we have this attitude of like, no, I gotta, I, I gotta jump in and I gotta say my piece and I gotta, sometimes just sitting and listening has such a tremendous effect on people. That as they do this discovery and discover the things in themselves, they come to a place of peace. Number six, from being disapproving of themselves, the client will move to a greater acceptance of themselves. Now I, now I understand that we're not all therapists and not created all to be therapists, and the relationships that we have in our life are not therapists to, to, you know, to, to this person. That's not the relationship that we have. But yet, I think there's some truths in here. And I wanna say, what if, right? Like, what if we entered into the relationships with those around us by saying, can I be real? I wanna be real and authentic with this person. I wanna prize this person Right? Like I want to have this tremendous amount of love and I want to look at them and not see differences but see the beautiful, unique qualities about them and I want to prize those things. And then thirdly, I want to understand who they are. I want to understand their perspectives. I want to understand their background. I want to understand where they're coming from because here's the thing. None of us come to conclusions in our life for no reason, Right? Like the things that we believe, there's always a reason, and sometimes those reasons are deeply flawed, but there's still reason, and I think, and I'm learning this in my own life, that, that as I sit and I listen, like understanding those things uncovers so much, and I'm able, to, I'm able to understand, okay, how can I love this person now? Because I see where they're actually struggling, and as I uncover that, and I uncover those things in their lives, I'm able to understand that this is, this is, this is the issue, this is what they're hung up on. And I'm able to exhibit love in that space. But church, if, if we don't take the time first to listen, if we don't take the time to understand, if we are, are so wrapped up and know this, this is the truth, this is the way things are, this is my perspective and you're not gonna change me, then good luck having a conversation with anybody, right? Like good luck, good luck showing the love of Jesus in that space. I'm, it's gonna be really hard because until we look at somebody and say, I love you, I care for you, I wanna have a conversation with you, I wanna understand who you are, until you can do that, like, I mean, Jesus showed, right, in his ministry how important that was. How vital that was. See, empathy doesn't, it doesn't make assumptions. Empathy doesn't claim to know it all. Empathy doesn't discredit the experiences of others or downplay these things in the lives of the people around us. Empathy sits in the mess. It participates in the experience of others, and it says, how can I help? 
Now for different situations and, and different people, like that's, that's gonna look different. Right? Maybe it means simply listening and being a listener. Maybe it's stepping in at some point. Right? Like, I, I, I don't think empathy requires us hiding what we truly think all the time. But I think until we listen and we understand that truth is not going to be shown in ways that are loving and fruitful, I, I'm really convinced of this. And so can we enter in, church, and can we, like, what if we were known by this? Like, what if we were really known by how we listen and sit with people from all different walks of life, no matter how messed up we probably think they are? What if we just said, I want to sit with you. I wanted to get to know you as a person. What would that look like? The band can come up now. Um... I want to take time, I think, and just in your own personal space right now, I just want a, a moment of prayer. Um, and, and you know what's, what's going on and, and, and where you're at and what things, you know, you were thinking of as this goes on. And I think, like, what if we as the church just entered into the space where we say, God, I just want... I just want to do that. Like, I, I think all of us would say, man, I, I want to love people around me well, right? Like, I, I want to do that. And I think if we just begin to surrender, like suddenly, and I've seen this in my own life, there, there's moments and there's conversations where it's like, man, like God placed that on my life and I just sat there and I listened. It's amazing how many conversations I've had with people where I literally didn't say anything of substance and they said, thank you, I needed that. And so I just wanna take some time here. If you could bow your head and just spend some time and we're gonna enter into worship in a few moments, but just whatever, whatever you need in this space to enter into that, to surrender to that challenge. And then we'll worship.